0: I think it's really important to just look at, at where we've been um, over the past year in terms of you know, thinking like a criminal and, and what they've been going through um, as well. And then that really leads us to where we are now and will give us a really good um, perspective on on what to expect, I think.
1: Welcome to Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. A look at the changing risk and resilience landscape with insights on the challenges facing businesses today and tomorrow. Hello, my name is David Hilgen, and today we're going to talk about kidnapping ransom insurance. It's commonly referred to as K&R. Business travel dropped off significantly during the COVID-19 pandemic, but it is expected to bounce back in 2021 and into 2022 as the rollout of vaccines continues. With an increase in global travel comes an increased risk of kidnapping and ransom demands. Today, we'll talk about travel trends, travel risks and how to protect yourself, and finally, how insurance providers can help businesses manage these risks. We have a trio of guests for this Future of Risk podcast. Cody Griffin is the US Head of International Casualty for Zurich North America. Cody oversees the entire portfolio of international casualty products ranging from trip travel policies to complex national accounts. Will McAleer is president of World Travel Protection Canada. World Travel Protection provides coverage to millions of businesses and leisure travelers for specialized services in medical emergency including evacuation or repatriation, health, travel safety and travel assistance. And Nicola White is the director for control risks. She leads the Special Risks Analysis Team, which tracks kidnapping for ransom and other extortive crime trends globally as part of Control Risk Confidential Crisis Response Practice. Welcome, Cody, Will and Nicola to the podcast.
2: Hey, great to
0: be
1: here. Thanks, David.
0: Thanks Thanks, for having us.
1: Let's get started
3: by explaining what kidnap and ransom insurance is. Cody? Yeah, that is a great question, David. So, Kidnap and Ransom, uh, it's, it's really one of those coverages that has this uh, captivating mystique around it. But in reality, I view it as a sleep good at night insurance. So, in a nutshell, Kidnap and Ransom ensures losses that result from anything like kidnapping, extortion, hijacking, express kidnapping, detention, and heis- hostage crisis events. Uh, the, the key thing to remember about K&R policies is that they are reimbursement forms, meaning the insurance company is not going to front the money for any sort of ransom. So this naturally leads to the question, why do we buy this insurance then? Uh, the answers are a simple one. The crisis management consultants that come with the policy, they're going to be the experts that help an insured navigate the kidnap process. And we're lucky to have an analyst from Control Risk on this podcast, so she's going to provide additional insight as we go on.
1: Excellent. It sounds like a, some pretty frightening prospects of traveling. Who needs this coverage? Who would buy this?
3: I would say everybody. Employees really are the greatest asset uh, of any company, and I think that customers need to look at several factors when they're traveling abroad. You know, some of the general things include uh, country of destination, right? So, where are they traveling to? Uh, length of stay, the number of employees that are traveling, do they have permanent employees that are living abroad? Uh, these could be US nationals, they could be third country nationals. I mean, you could even look at local nationals and, and, and really so on from there. And you know, finally, what's their risk tolerance? Like I said earlier, this is a form of insurance that can help uh, risk managers sleep better at night by addressing that duty of care that comes with sending employees on these international trips and assignments. So with that said, whether you're a small business that's just sending a couple of employees to Southeast Asia for maybe something like material sourcing, uh, or you could be a large multinational with employees both traveling and living abroad, uh, kidnap and ransom could make sense to add to your insur- insurance portfolio.
1: Well, thanks for that explanation, Cody. Um, as I mentioned uh, at the start, uh, travel is already picking up uh, around the world. Uh, can you Can you help set the stage for what business travel will look like in a post-pandemic world?
3: I think we're all really eager to get back to traveling and having that face-to-face interaction with our business partners and our customers. You know, if you look at the data, this is pretty evident. For example, the checkpoint data that the TSA is publishing, in May, traveler numbers reached 70% of the 2019 level, which is significant because if you look at 2020, they were so low, right? No one was traveling anywhere. And while the majority of this travel was probably domestic, it really does emphasize the point that there's an increasing comfort level with Americans when it comes to air travel. Now, when you travel internationally, the most important thing to remember is that all countries are not at the same point as we are in the states in terms of vaccination levels. So globally, there have been over 1.74 billion vaccine doses administered, but the gap in vaccination programs country to country can be pretty vast that being said, you know, certain regions are opening up to both businesses for tourism as well as just business travelers. You know, EU is a great example. So the EU in early May had said that their goal was to open up their borders by the summer. Now, summer's broad, right? It's 3 months, but certain countries within that EU block have already released some of their border constraints, you know, maybe dropping that 14-day quarantine period. So we are seeing countries loosening up those restrictions, allowing Americans to come in. The other thing that we really need to keep in mind, though, uh, are the economics associated with international business travel. So, i.e., are we seeing the growth necessary to actually justify that travel? So, when the pandemic started, it took a bit for us to see a decrease in renewable exposures for our own customers. But by Q3 of 2020, revenues and travel were taking noticeable dips. Uh, And this really ranged from single to low double digits. And while recovery is, I should say, full recovery at a macro level is pretty unknown at this point, I can tell you that we're seeing increases in certain industry segments uh, such as entertainment, educational travel, and obviously NGOs are way up just due to um, American NGOs looking to help, you know, with vaccination programs globally. So, The CEO of a a major airline actually stated in April that corporate and long-haul international travel was down 80% compared to pre-pandemic 2019, but that he expects recovery to begin over the summer of 2021 and really bleed into the second half of the year. So this really aligns with the trends that we're seeing in our own book as well as uh, outside. To get back to your original question, will business travel look the same post-pandemic I'm not sure, but what I do know is that we live in a global society and face-to-face interaction remains a necessity. Uh, until that changes, global travel will continue to be an essential factor.
1: Will, I'd like to get your perspective on this, on the World Travel Protection. What's the forecast for business travel?
2: Certainly fluid right now. When we talk about the K&R subject, even for starters, uh, Cody mentioned that it's a sleepball well policy. I also liken it to a little bit of the Fight Club, right? Make sure you're not talking about it. You need it, but never talk about it. All you're doing is putting a target on some of your employees. But in terms of targets, what we're looking at from a travel perspective is, you're right, corporations, they need to get back out there. They need to see some of their employees in other countries, and they also need to see their customers. So in order to do that, you've got to make sure you're reviewing your travel policies Before you're getting out there, make sure your employees understand what the rules of engagements are. How are they going to go out there and book their travel? Are they watching where they're routing through? Because that's a big part of it. Rules are changing all the time. We're seeing in the news vast lineups at certain countries because all of a sudden uh, they're red listed from their home country. And as a result, they need to get back before a quarantine kicks in. So lots of things to consider about where you're going to, uh, the safety of it. So making sure you understand exactly where your employees are at any given time and using some of the digital tools that are available out there to do that.
1: Nicola, I know that kidnapping and ransoming schemes are, are just one of the risks that global travelers face. Can you talk about some of the other things people should look out for as they resume traveling again?
0: Sure, absolutely David. I think it's really important to just look at at where we've been um, over the past year in terms of thinking like a criminal and and what they've been going through um, as well and then that really leads us to where we are now and will give us a really good um, perspective on on what to expect I think. So with these lockdowns that we've been going in and out of, um, criminals who have been relying on in-person financially motivated crimes have seen huge punctuation points in their income. So this is things like pickpocketing, mugging, street extortions, um, and almost all of the forms of kidnapping require some kind of in-person altercation. So people being on the streets are really important to these kinds of crimes. Being successful, if you look at kidnapping for ransom, 60 to 70% of kidnaps globally happen while people are outside, either you know outside statically or in transit. Um, and when we're locked down, we see these crimes completely drop off a cliff. So a really good example of that is India, where we see quite high levels of kidnapping for ransom generally. Every time they go into a lockdown, those trends track right down to the bottom of the B curve And then as soon as they open up again, um, those criminals have to make up for those huge punctuation points in their income. So what we see is then levels surging to above where they were before. And that's also in countries that have had high levels to start with. And this this is true, as I say, for all of those street climbs, um, thinking again about kidnapping, express kidnapping, which is the version where you're taken off to an ATM machine and uh, have money withdrawn. Obviously, that requires uh, lots of people to be out on the streets for that to happen. So you've got in-person criminals who are are really suffering um, in the financial, (laughs) sufferings is a kind of nice way of putting it if we're thinking like a criminal, but they have had those income streams disrupted and they need to make them up again. But then you have the kind of online criminals who have had a boom year um, in terms of the pandemic. We've all been glued to our devices, makes it really easy for ransomware um, to get infiltrated onto those Devices, but also extortionists who are operating through email or or telephone calls have had unprecedented times in that we all naturally have felt a little bit more under threat than we would usually. And so, if you add threat to that with threat extortion, for example, the types of scams where people call and say they may have been monitoring you, more than likely they haven't, but they make it feel like they have. And unless you pay a certain amount of money, then they will harm you or a family member or kidnap you or a family member, they've had a lot more traction um, in the past year because we already feel under threat. And when you add threat um, onto that, then people are biting a lot more on these extortions that they would normally have dismissed completely out of hand. So this is where we've sort of landed. And adding on top of that the economic stress that COVID has brought, what we're seeing now is um, as, as com- countries open up and restrictions are lifted, more and more people are travelling in into countries, is these crimes that have had peaks and troughs are really peaking again. And so we, may, we need to be mindful, exactly as those who've spoken before me have said, we need to be mindful of, of where we're travelling to. Even places that you, you might be really familiar with, because you've travelled to a lot in the past, will have undergone some quite rapid changes in the economic sphere. And so it may feel quite different now, moving forward forward. And one way that we see that is through lots of civil unrest. 2019, or the year up to the pandemic, we saw quite a lot of civil unrest, quite high levels. And although that was initially suppressed by lockdowns, actually what we found after that is that we've reached record levels of civil unrest in countries. And this is normally instigated by things like you know, economic suppression, people feeling like their civil liberties are being curbed, all of which has been exacerbated by COVID. And so we are seeing some quite stiff peaks in terms of civil unrest and general crime um, on the streets and off it as well.
1: It, it's true what they say then that you know things are getting back to the normal when the crime rate goes back up. So yay, normal, I guess. Nicola, you you mentioned the phrase outside statically. What does that mean?
0: Yes, apologies. Very much um, industry jargon there. So basically, just being outside at a public place, perhaps maybe even a restaurant. Um, just being outside somewhere where kidnappers actually can find it a lot easier to grab somebody and then escape really quickly.
1: Well. What are the types of service that your customers need right now to help protect them?
2: I really would echo what Nicholas said, the punctuation points. It's likely we're going to see some of those early travelers, some of the early corporate travelers that get out there first are likely going to be most exposed. They're the ones that are going to sort of be first across the river for some of these crimes to beset them. So first of all making sure that they're reviewing where they're going, what's the situation on the ground. So taking advantage of the intelligence that's offered up by their their companies and making sure that Corporations and organizations are offering uh, that information, that intelligence to them so they can understand what the lay of the land looks like. You certainly want to review any alerts. We talked about civil unrest and the fact that it's out there. The pandemic, not only from a health perspective, but from a financial perspective, has wreaked havoc on many of these economies. Again, some of those places that we're used to traveling aren't as safe as they were. If you're going to go to a place like uh, Bogota now, a lot different than it was when I was there about uh, a year and a half ago. A lot more to consider. So review those alerts and make sure you're following the guidance provided because there will be assistance companies that are there to help guide with security experts that can tell you okay here's what you want to do and if civil unrest is around that corner perhaps even advanced notifications of it so you can avoid getting into that situation so that you're not necessarily relying on a responsive assistance service but rather more of a proactive assistance service so taking advantage again of the technology that's out there we're seeing that there's going to be a lot more brought to uh, corporations and individuals when they're traveling post pandemic because the need is there.
1: That makes sense. It makes a lot more sense to know what the risks are before you uh, even get on the plane or even book the trip for that matter. Yeah, I
2: I think the days of getting a multiple page email about what that location is like just to check box uh, duty of care, for instance, is a thing of the past. And it's real time. It's up to date intelligence so that you can really understand what's going on. So you can make that trip for its intended purpose and not uh, not being afraid of what might be around that next corner,
0: Nicola. Uh,
1: what are what are the emerging risks that we need to uh, we need to worry about? What's on the horizon?
0: I think. A lot of the risk is actually the same, but a lot more of it than before. We look at the three elements, there are lots of push and pull factors to, to what underpins crime, but the three main ones that, that we look at, especially for high-impact crime like kidnapping for ransom, tend to be socioeconomic disparity, a weak or under-resourced law enforcement, and a weak judicial system. And all three of those elements have come under pressure in the last sort of 18 months with the pandemic. So I think you know, all of those financially motivated crimes, um, there is a, a lot more need for them now. We are even seeing reports of people turning to kidnapping because they they lost their previously stable job, and literally um with some countries where you're living, you know with a day rate and you're being paid daily, when that's taken away, you very quickly find yourself under the poverty line, and so people are de- in desperation turning to crimes that they would never have considered before and that's a small subset obviously but it does sort of play into the wider picture that i think we will just see a lot more of the crimes that we already know to be aware of but because they're happening in much higher volumes the chances of them affecting us increase and i would think i would point particularly to things like express kidnapping because kidnapping for ransom those kinds of kidnappers they often avoid foreign nationals if they can because they find themselves coming under a lot more diplomatic pressure, pressure from local law enforcement when a foreign national goes missing. And so they're aware that they'll get a higher ransom for a foreign national, but they also are aware that they'll probably be arrested. And so that risk reward ratio is a bit off for them because they're not around to spend the money. But they don't have such hang ups when it comes to express kidnapping because it's rapid. They take you to an ATM as a foreigner. They, they know that you'll have access to lots of different credit cards, a high daily limit. And, and probably cash and valuables on your person as well. So there's a huge attraction there for that crime. But also, I think the previous rules of engagement that I just talked about in terms of kidnapping for ransom do go out the window a little bit when you think about criminals who have got lots of lost income to make up for. They may find that actually that allure of kidnapping a foreign national on a business trip actually is quite a good idea um, or a good risk to take under current circumstances when they are so squeezed economically. Um, But also going back, David, to to talking about, you know, future and emerging risks. And I think it's not necessarily a future risk anymore, but certainly one that people are more and more conscious of is around cyber and information risks. So, you know, making sure that, especially with things like extortion, we leave so much of our daily lives and we leave a footprint on online social media. So things like people posting that they're going on a trip from the airport and kidnappers or extortionists they look at what people put online and then they piece those pieces together and they can call you and and make it feel like you're under surveillance and actually one of our jobs as analysts is then to when we get calls from clients who have this is to then go on online and see how much of that we can piece together and and kind of put at ease the people who feel under threat because in fact a lot of this information is out there so I think we do just need to be mindful of what we post online too.
1: Indeed, I mostly post uh, photos of my dog Jazz. So, the kidnapper <laughs> wanted to steal my dog. They would know I would be a key target there.
0: Exactly, dog napping isn't is no joke either.
1: Oh, no, no, I, I know. Uh, wasn't it Lady Gaga had a mm. a couple of dogs uh, kidnapped or dog napped rather?
0: Yeah, exactly. um Um, so so much information is is out there and exactly as you've just said they'll know you have a dog and they'll know it's called jazz and and they will use all of that information to make you feel under threat
1: we've talked a lot about what can go wrong can we talk a little bit more well you've touched on some of this but uh, some of the best practices for international travel what are some things just a few things that businesses and individuals can do to protect themselves
2: yeah sure they're going to want to be flexible as much as possible So that's having multiple routing options to their travel. Make sure they're checking out where they're routing through. The interesting thing is, is as corporations are getting back to travel is what's happening on the front of proof of vaccinations, more commonly referred to as the vaccination passports. There's been a lot said about it, and most likely, no matter what individual states are saying, there's likely going to need to be proof uh when travelers are going out and depending upon what the lay of the land is at their destination and some of the things that we've seen are kind of shocking when you take a look at the type of vaccination you're receiving so we've had reports of individuals who have been refused entry to the U.S. because they've been fully vaccinated but one is with MNRA vaccination and a non-MNRA vaccination Uh, one of which was not yet approved in the United States. So as a result, it wasn't necessarily being recognized. So what happens when you're sending your travelers out and maybe you need to go to China and they're not recognizing some of the vaccinations that, that have been approved here? Are you prepared for that? What happens? What does your travel policy say? So checking it out before you go to ensure that not only is the proof that you plan on showing, going to be accepted uh, but that also there are no requirements for particular types of vaccinations depending on where you're going so there's a safety and security side but there's also going to be a proof of vaccination that we're simply not going to to get away from following that again making sure that uh, you've got an open line with your travel provider so that you can reroute uh, and not head through one of these destinations that might be put on a, a red flag with your particular country so that you can continue those journeys. So uh, a lot more to consider and in something that is evolving pretty much every single day in this space right now. Indeed, oh, thank you for that. Uh, Cody, how is Zurich positioned
1: to help its customers address the risks associated with international travel?
3: You know, Zerk International Casualty, I, I really believe that we're well positioned to address the, the unique and the varying needs of, of all of our customers. The thing is, when it comes to international is that every customer is is a little bit different. I think we've already talked on this a little bit. You can have those that are really just doing that trip travel only exposure, right? They they might just send one employee to China a year versus some of your larger multinationals that they really have the the need for a, a complex controlled master program and and subsequently they might purchase a a different type of program. We're able to offer things like international general liability, you know, excess auto to cover those uh, just in case you don't buy enough rental car insurance because we all know that happens all the time. I'm telling you the most frequent claim is when a door gets ripped off a car when someone opens it up, usually in London because they don't know which side of the street to drive in. We can do international property, Uh, voluntary international employee compensation for your employees traveling overseas, business travel accident, you know, obviously uh, kidnap and ransom, like we've already discussed. Uh, And then in addition, you know, with our partnership with World Travel Protection, as well as control risks for kidnap and ransom, our customers can always really rest assured that they have an expert, only a phone call away, no matter the circumstances that they might find themselves in. The positive, and I hope this has really come across uh, throughout this podcast, is that We've been doing international for a very long time and we have the resources and the expertise in place. So we're pretty good at it. I do want to share one anecdote that I always like to bring up whenever people think that they don't actually need international insurance because they're just going to, let's say, France for a week. Right. What could possibly happen? So we had this claim one time and it was a business traveler. They got to their hotel, realized his clothes were really wrinkled because he didn't pack them very well. And so he had this brilliant idea to run the shower and and steam them out, genius idea. So he got a phone call, he stopped paying attention. And then before he knew it, the bathroom was flooding and running all throughout the hotel room, subsequently costing quite a, a decent amount of water damage, right? So this is really why, insurance is important because even the most mundane activities uh, can result in a claim. Just a fun aside, uh, that business traveler was me. That was a really fun one to explain to my company. So it happens. It absolutely happens.
1: Wow. Nice job with that. I'll, uh, take that in mind. I tend not to travel with anything that needs ironing at all. So,
2: well, my defense, I
3: was... David, I did get all the wrinkles out.
0: So, okay.
2: Yeah. I was gonna jump in. I I hear a recent survey uh, said that eight out of 10 examples used in these situations are generally that of the presenter. So uh, thanks for being honest there, Cody. Yeah,
3: I didn't wanna hide it. No problem.
1: That's great. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation about the topic of kidnapping, ransom and international travel. But before I let you go, I wanna hear from each of you about your favorite travel destination. I personally love Ireland. I've been there three times. Uh, I have family there, and I had planned to take my wife to Paris this year for our anniversary, but with the uncertainty about the pandemic, it's looking like we may have to settle for Frenchtown, New Jersey. It's the best thing. Tell me, where where do you like to go? What's your favorite place?
2: David, I'll jump in. I've got a uh, trip, and I've already uh, booked it, as a matter of fact, for this uh, Christmas New Year's. It's been on my bucket list for a long time, But generally, we take a look and go, wait, let's go over to Europe and do things like that. This one, I wanted to stay closer and going to take my family into Arizona and then make sure that we we make the trip up to Grand Canyon. Take a look at it, take it all in. My kids are sort of of that age where this might be around the last time where they're going to want to travel with mom and dad. So quite looking forward to that. Sounds great. Nicola?
0: Yeah, really good question. I've just suffered through a pretty bleak British winter. So this question brings back memories of traveling to Belize and scuba diving along world's second biggest barrier reef and um, trekking through jungles. So that would definitely be my pick.
1: And Cody, let us know so we can call the hotel in advance and warn them.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. Um, You know, London is my favorite place to be, but I did make a promise to my daughter. So she's about to turn nine and she is just infatuated with Paris. So uh, it it sounds like maybe not this summer, but very soon Paris will be the next vacation for us. It's a great city, great place to just walk around for hours.
1: Okay, I want to thank our guests for taking time to join us on this Future of Risk podcast. Cody, Will, Nicola, it has been a pleasure speaking with you today.
2: Thanks, David. Appreciate being here.
1: Thanks a lot, David. It was fun. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. I'm David Hilgen. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at zurichna.com and join us next week.